0: excellence is, um, or character even, it it, it it might sound weird coming from me, but I believe it's compartmentalized. Mm-hmm. I believe because you are excellent in the workplace does not mean that you're an excellent father, does not mean that you're an excellent friend, does not mean that you're excellent in personal growth or that you're pers- excellent. I believe that you might be excellent in the workplace. Mm-hmm. So let's, as you said, if you're an athlete, let's take what the character skills you think are necessary for a champion inside of your field. And some of you listed some of them. So Mm -hmm. whether it's patience or it's grit or it's a growth mindset and start to figure out what those things look like and start to emulate emulate those inside of that particular endeavor. Now, hopefully that'll carry over to other areas, but if it doesn't, that's the place to start is really define, really specifically define, what does it look like? What do champions look like in my sport? What confidence is, has nothing to do with winning or the leaderboard. What confidence is, is knowing that you giving yeah, your best efforts is enough. Three, four,
1: well, hello. Hey Patrick. Back for another one. Um, today we're going to talk about talent or the lack of talent or the myth of talent or what talent is and what it isn't. Um, Something that I think you touched on uh, a good amount in the book, um, but I don't think it's something we've talked about too directly here. So Mm -hmm. what I I wanted to talk about today is um, sort of uh, how you have come to think about what talent is um, and how that is maybe contrasted with how a lot of people think about what talent is. Mm -hmm. Um, So the first question I have is, is sort of like, it's the obvious one. It's the one I've seen people ask anytime this subject come up, which is just that, are guys like Matt Fraser and Rich Froning or, or athletes like, you know, Katrin or Tia or Annie, are they just, aren't, isn't they're, it possible that they just, work out. yeah, isn't it possible that they just have something in them that sets them apart from whatever, from 10th place on, or yep. from, from anything else? Isn't it possible from that, you and me, from, yeah, certainly from us, <laughs> um, isn't it possible that there, there's something genetically just in them that, that lets them do this better than anybody else?
0: Yes, there is. And that would be the talent side, right? Mm -hmm. Which is um, you are born with certain um, gifts, certain skills, certain um, abilities, and other people have different skill sets that they're born with. And everyone basically is dealt a deck of cards. And um, that's like the sports gene. That is, you know, Michael Phelps being born with an incredible wingspan Mm -hmm. and, you know, huge chest cavity and you know in lance armstrong being born with with these are true things with being like three times the size of the diameter um the main artery something from his upper body to his lower body so he can feed his lungs like that's that's a genetic um benefit that's Mm -hmm. an enhancement so um is that what separates people or the other side of that so it's like what is it is it um talent or is it the other side of the, the other schools of thoughts or is it practice, right? And this was made popular or um, er, Anders Erickson was the one that kind of did the 10,000 hours thing, which was made popular by Malcolm Gladwell, which states basically that it is not talent. It is really um, the amount of practice somebody puts into a craft that dictates their abilities. And He further explained that with opportunities and deep practice. So what Anders Ericsson basically did was went around and studied world-class performers in a number of different areas, from violin to ballet dancers to to tennis players. And across the board, he was searching for talent. God-given, born-with-it talent. And he didn't find it. Mm -hmm. He couldn't find talent. What he found was, people that were given really big opportunities aka Roger Federer handed a tennis racket when at age three and um, other people put in tennis camps at age six with world-class coaches that then flourished and had grew a passion and desire then created this 10,000 hours of deep deliberate practice And his hypothesis is that none of us are born with the magic deck of cards, that it all stems from the opportunities you're given at a young age and thus the um, work you put into it. And then he went in to disprove certain um, prodigies like Mozart, the the composer. And people look at Mozart at age six composing a symphony and like, this is amazing at age six, he's a prodigy. What people don't talk about was that He was born into a family, mom and dad were composers, Mm. opportunity, and that at age six, he had 3,500 hours of deep practice because his parents put him in that, and that his symphony that he wrote sucked. (laughs) (laughs) So, but at age six, it's amazing for a six-year-old, but for anybody else, it was way below par. But then from there, you are a prodigy, greater opportunities. I'm a prodigy. I have a lot of self-belief. i become better and better and more ingrained in this. I want to do well. I'm succeeding. Now I invest more and more deep practice into it. So that is the kind of two different schools of thought between talent and um, practice. Anders Ericsson said he could not find talent. Other people say that, um, you know, IQ, you're born, certain people are born with certain ability to memorize and rationalize, whereas other people have more difficulties, you know, AKA like learning disabilities. Well, it kind of sounds ridiculous to jump all the way into one camp or the other. I don't believe it's either all the way or the other. You know, Andrews Erickson gave um, um, credence to only two things, which was body size and height. And he says, everything else after that is all about opportunities and practice. Hmm. I think that that's a starting point. Like obviously, Michael Phelps it, it has, a, has an advantage over I do at five foot nine as a swimmer, you know, with the wingspan he does. Obviously, Michael Jordan being six foot six has an advantage playing basketball over I do. Anders Ericsson took that into account and said, I agree with you. What he said is everything else minus that is practice and opportunity and I think practice and opportunity is undersold in our community, but I don't want to discredit it completely. Mm -hmm. There is some level of genetics. I just don't think it's as deep as what most people say. Mm -hmm. I just don't think it's like, I don't think Katrin, Matt, Annie, Tia, and those guys were just born with a distinct advantage over the rest of us. Some of them might have higher inclinations for VO2 max or different muscle fiber types or better greater coordination, they might pick up skills faster than us, but that doesn't mean what most people think which is they're elite i am not and i can't get there because they were born to do this. I think that it's mostly if i had a way which one it counts more after again like um the body size and type, you know, if you're an an NBA center, if you're six foot 10 or seven foot one, you're not going to be a lead at the CrossFit games, right? If you're, if you're four foot nine as a guy, you're not gonna be a lead at the CrossFit games. There is a certain body type and that goes across for all sports. So I do believe that, but I also do believe that there is some other innate abilities. I do. Like my brother never studied a day in his life, was on a roll and got, you know, know, um, really smart kid mathematician at Georgetown. Like that was not me. If I was to do that, I would have had to work so much harder than he did. Does that mean I can't do it? Absolutely not. It's something that I would have just had to work harder at. And there are certain people that see talent and use it as an excuse for, I can't get there. I think that if you listen to a lot of uh, success people right now, they'll discredit completely. It's all about the work. It's all about the work. And I like that talk more because it's taking ownership but it's not 100%. Mm-hmm. There is some small percentage that people are born with something.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, the Erickson work, is that, uh, is that in a book? Is that, how, how would somebody, if they wanted to read more about that, I guess? Is uh,
0: you could very easily just Google in 10,000 okay. hours okay. into the thing, and his name is gonna be one of the first that pops up. If it's not popping up, read any article, they're gonna reference him and click on the link.
1: All that being said, how do you start to work with somebody if it's not sort of yourself? To shift that paradigm to start saying, okay, I get that. I believe yep. it. How do I start to, how do I how do I like truly bring that in and, and make that part of, of your sort of your mentality? So this
0: is something we've talked a lot about, which is the shift between a fixed mindset and a growth mindset. A fixed mindset says um, you either have it or you don't. You were either dealt the de- good deck of cards or you were not. And everything from there is, um, is kind of fixed. And if you struggle with something, you're a failure and you can't make it. Whereas a growth mindset says, everything is malleable. And if you practice that thing, you can get better. And if you fail, that's good because you're struggling. And struggling is what creates growth and opportunity, growth and adaptation. So it's the, the fixed mindset says, you either have it or you don't, pass, fail. Whereas the growth mindset says, it's all about effort. And if you put in the effort, regardless of the outcomes, that's what will lead you to success in the long term.
1: Any um any sort of tactical advice on on putting that idea into practice? I mean, it's uh, okay. I get it. Yep. But then tomorrow, it's harder to to put into yeah. action as it is today. So is there um, anything that you found that's worked?
0: Step away from your results. Your, rel- your results do not dictate the journey. They do not dictate who you are. If you're struggling with something, it doesn't mean that you're innately bad at it and that you will not get good at. It. I love that. Like. Somebody says, Well, I'm not good, like in our sport, you know, mm-hmm. people that aren't following CrossFit or whatever, I get it. But um, in our sport, and I can relate to something else. But like, I'm not good at, um, well, let's use a different thing LeBron James. LeBron James went to a sports psychologist because he wasn't good at three point shooting. And his opponents would talk trash to him. And he's like, I, So he went to this psychologist to help him out. Like, Doc, I'm not good at three pointers. What do you you hypnotize me? Can you do something else hmm. like that? And the doctor's response was, Take 300 three pointers a day. You're not good at it because you don't practice enough. It's like, that's the step It's like, mm-hmm. the step is go practice. He's like, before, what do you do is he would take, you know, 10, 15 and practice and you would miss half of them. He's like, oh, I'm not good at them. Would, the next day you take 10 or 15 practices. Oh, I'm not good at them. Well, of course you're not good at them. You haven't invested the time. Mm-hmm. In my sport, people are like, oh, I'm not good at muscle ups. My answer to that is show me your workout log. Show me where you've done 30 muscle-ups a day, three days a week for six months. Until you've done that, you're not allowed to say you're not good at them. What you're saying to me is you haven't tried yet. You have to put in the effort. The effort has to be there. If you don't have the skill set at the beginning of your lifetime or the opportunities, it just means you have to double down and work that much harder. The idea behind it is what is the tactical, actionable thing? Forget about the results. It's not about being able to do 10 muscle-ups in a row. Scratch it from your brain. It doesn't matter. It's about the process of everyday investing, the deliberate practice—not just the practice, but the deliberate practice into what you're chasing.
1: So, with that in mind, what are, what are, what have you seen to be the benefits of that sort of that paradigm shift or that that mindset shift of going from uh, the sort of the either or the or the you know the binary? Like, I'm good at that thing. I'm not good at yep. it. What, what have you seen as the benefits of putting those things into practice?
0: Well, it, it opens up the door to everything, mm-hmm. right? It opens, the, like, um, if you want to pursue something, if you want to be good at something, you can. And the example of this is they've done it with things that people just innately, like, um, we just accept as, so I get, like, sports be like, okay, I gotta get that. If I practice it, sports, I can get better. at. It. Well, what about drawing? What about art, being, being an yeah. artist? Yep. And they've shown what this looks like. If somebody like, can just draw these like you know kind of rudimentary elementary drawings that look like they would come out of a fifth grader. And then they have them sit with an expert teacher, an expert mentor, and they take lessons on drawing. And within two weeks, they look like they could draw for Disney. They look like they're phenomenal artists. It's because it's something that they practiced and learned. What it does is it opens up the door, that paradigm shift of, it's not something I'm born with. It's something that I can learn and improve upon. The world is your oyster. Like you can go and do anything you want. Like you want to, you want to compete in CrossFit. Like go for it. Now if you're limited by certain opportunities at certain times in your life. Right, right. It's a whole lot easier for you at 11 year olds to begin that opportunity because your your lead up time to when you are peaking at age 24 is nice. Whereas us on the backside of that, it's gonna be a much harder challenge but if you want to compete in the masters Mm -hmm. like you can go do that you can do it if you want to run a sub three-hour marathon you can do that if you want to go um hike across antarctica you can do that if you want to learn how to start a fire with two pieces of wood like you can do that you just have to put in the work to make it happen Mm -hmm. you know you want to sail across the ocean you've never been on a boat before it's not this binary like i can do these things i can't do these things It's only a matter of the opportunities that you've been exposed to, what you put the effort and the desire and the passion into, and how much have you practiced it. Everything is learnable, like I believe that. Like we as human beings are the adaptable machines. Like we are the most adaptable machines on planet earth. It's why we, along with our thumbs, you know, it's like why, but really our brains have grown because we have, Mm -hmm. we're the most adaptable. The fact that like we've been given this nice excuse of talent of like, oh, sweetie, you're just not that good at that. Like, it's okay. That's for Johnny. That's not for you. That's an excuse. You can do anything.
1: The so a couple of things. One, the the this conversation reminds me of the one of the early episodes we did on daily discipline and the mm-hmm. idea of sort of um, I forget how you put it, but I think it was sort of determine your level of discipline. And sort of embedded yeah, right. in that is that idea of. Um, understand where, where, where you and how much you're willing to work towards something, right? So if I wanted to run a three-hour, th- sub three-hour marathon embedded in that is, is the, the the amount of work necessary that I today going to need to put yes. into that, right? So so if, it's, a,
0: it, it's in terms of goal setting, right? If right. you want to set your goals, like you can do anything, absolutely, yeah. but let's not create false hopes. Exactly. I'm not about that at all. I'm not like, Patrick, you can win the CrossFit Games. Right. If you want to do that, I'm going to lay out to you exactly what the plan looks like to win the CrossFit Games. And then you can decide (laughs) if that's something worth investing your time, effort, energy, money, resources, everything else into. For most, it's not, and that's why it's not about talent. It's about the people that are willing to chase those crazy exponential edges that we look at as like world-class talent. Mm -hmm. Nobody talks about the work that goes into it. Because if we did, it would be a real magnifying glass to us. Like, It's so much easier for us to be like, well, Look at them, like mm-hmm. they're just God given. That's amazing what they do, like good for them. Like we just look at it, people at the Olympics and people at the CrossFit games and people in the NFL, nobody talks about the hours and out, maybe they do actually, about Tom Brady, I was gonna say, spends working and pounding on his craft. There's a reason, Kobe Bryant is the probably the best example of this. Kobe Bryant rode the bench, no one, t- he rode the bench for the first two years of his career. He was a bench warmer. Mm. And then there's rookie year in the championship, the last game of the season, he airballed the last three game winning shots. Like, for that, it's like, you should be on the bench. Mm-hmm. Like, that's where you sit. You're going to be no one. And then you dive into the work ethic this guy had and never the woe is me moment for a second. It was everything like, I'm growing, I'm developing, I'm working, I'm pounding my craft. I'm going to define the disciplines necessary to achieve at the highest level. And I'm just gonna dig into those disciplines. What it means is I'm gonna be the first one to the gym. I'm gonna be the last one to leave. I'm gonna take the most shots. The Andre Agassi thing is, Andre Agassi, his theory was, I'm gonna get the numbers wrong. I'm definitely gonna do the math wrong. But it's something along the lines of, if I hit, 2,500 balls a day, that's X number of balls in a week. If I do that over the course of the year, that equates to a million hits a year. If I do that, focusing on every single one, I'm the best in the world Mm -hmm. because no one else will do that. That's it. It's whoever works the hardest, the smartest, the longest.
1: (laughs) Um, What is, or how do you define uh, deliberate practice or deep practice. I think you've used the term, both, yep. both terms, but what, what does that mean? Like that, does that mean I'm just simply trying harder? Does it mean, how do I actually know if what I'm doing is a, is a, a, an act of deliberate practice or yeah. if it's just whatever normal so right? practice? It's
0: not like. just about the 10,000 hours. Yep which you can't leave it at that discussion because we've all put in 10,000 hours in a lot of different things. We put 10,000 hours into our work. We put 10,000 hours into driving, yet we're not world-class entrepreneurs and we're not um, driving the Indianapolis 500. Mm -hmm. It's because much of what people do is on autopilot. If it's on autopilot, it counts for zero, nothing. Like when you go through your morning routine and you're just tying your shoes, then you get off in the car and you just drive to work and you can't remember if you stopped at certain red lights, that you're on autopilot. You're just, and thank God we have that, that, that the, the nervous system can fire at will and just do certain things. Imagine if we had to think about every single time we brushed our teeth, like what was going on <laughs> every single time we talked. Yeah. We, we get overwhelmed at the simplest tasks. You need that that habitual routine to allow you to accomplish more. practice when you're trying to achieve world-class results, it has to be the opposite of that. It has to be incredibly focused to a point where it's uncomfortable. It has to involve um, incredible amounts of feedback. So most notably, that helps if it's from from a coach Mm -hmm. that knows how to direct you in uh, certain directions and cue you a certain way to fix mistakes. The deliberate practice should be mistake-ridden, like you should be making tons of mistakes if I want you to be able to be a world-class typist, like you better hit the wrong key every now and then. If you don't, you're not working on your speed enough. Imagine trying to learn to play guitar so you could like play with the, you know, with Jimmy Page or Jimi Hendrix. But I was like, you can never make a mistake. Like you would just play so slowly. (laughs) Like it has to be riddled with mistakes. That's where you learn. Then from there, it should be be broken down into pieces. It's not a matter of like, you know, here's, you know... um, Mozart's symphonies. I don't even know what they, Beethoven's fifth, right? Mm-hmm. And go Patrick, learn it. Mm-hmm. It should be broken down in its compartmental parts. Learn to excel and become exceptional at the parts before you put it together as the whole. If you're going to learn how to shoot a bow and arrow, like a professional archer, they don't just grab the thing and pull it. It's about like where are your feet? Okay, where are your hips? Where you're breathing? Like you break it down to piece by piece from the ground up, and then finally you get to hold a bow, and then finally you get to draw back, but there's no arrow in it. Then you get—it's like you got to break it down in all its small like typing. Learn the home keys, and then we'll explore the top row, and then mm-hmm. we'll explore the bottom row. It's not just like here's the keyboard, rock and roll. Let's see eighty words a minute. So, quickly, it's um, deliberate practice is um, super focused to the point where it's uncomfortable. It's um, riddled with mistakes, but those mistakes are followed up with feedback. And then that feedback hopefully breaks it down into compartmental parts that we can then uh, build into the whole.
1: Well, how, um, how do you think about, so there's, so there's the deliberate practice and then there's also something that we've talked a little bit about which a lot of people will call flow or mm-hmm. they'll call sort of you know, in yeah. the zone or whatever. Those two things seem a little bit opposed to me.
0: They're totally at odds.
1: How do you, where is one good or where do you think one is good or, or versus the other? So we
0: just described what uh, deep or deliberate practice yeah. was. The flow is that state that we're all seeking in competition. It's when things are just, you're, you're public speaking and you're not worried about your next words. They're right. just flowing. It's yep. when you are um, playing basketball and all your shots are just dropping. It's when um, you know, you're playing your musical instrument and it's just the music is flowing out of you. You're not thinking at all. You only get there with enough deliberate practice. Gotcha. Deliberate practice is the is the prerequisite for that. Mm-hmm. Now, some people that play recreational basketball might have had a moment here or there, once or twice in their lives. Mm-hmm. The pros get there regularly. Mm-hmm. They get there maybe um, you know weekly, if not nightly. And the reason for that is because they put so much work into it. Deep practice is very conscious, slow, deliberate, and painful. Flow is the opposite. It's where you are not thinking at all. It's where you actually get let all that deep practice turn into autopilot. And you are actually letting this really complex motor skill just flow out of you naturally. And it's where you are actually detaching yourself psychologically from the events that's actually happening. There are no repercussions for miss or make. It's not, okay, I'm gonna catch the ball. I get it. Mm. There's three seconds left on the clock. If I miss this, <laughs> we lose the tournament, my sponsorships go away, maybe I'm the failure of the team. If I make it, oh my gosh, it's joy, ablation, and we're going to party like it's 1999. It's the exact opposite of that. There is no judgment happening whatsoever. It's this thing we talk about in terms of mindfulness, this open positivity with non-judgment in the present moment.
1: Okay, awesome. So um, all those things you just described, how do I... How do I... In the book, you guys you talk about character a lot, right? Character is at the, the base of the pyramid mm-hmm. um, of of development of a champion. How do I start to put myself together in such a way that I am of this, the character who is okay with this idea of deliberate practice and okay with the idea of patience and okay with the idea of um, letting go of the results? Assuming I'm starting today from a place where I'm none of those things. Mm-hmm. Where do I begin?
0: So I would um, compartmentalize your life. I think excellence is um, or character even it, 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 it might sound weird coming from me, but I believe it's compartmentalized. Mm-hmm. I believe because you are excellent in the workplace does not mean that you' are an excellent father does not mean that you're an excellent friend does not mean that you're excellent in personal growth or that you're person excellent. I believe that you might be excellent in the workplace. Mm-hmm. So let's, as you said, as if you're an athlete, let's take what the character skills you think are necessary for a champion inside of your field. And some of you listed some of them. So mm-hmm. whether it's patience or it's grit or it's a growth mindset and start to figure out what those things look like and start to emulate, emulate those inside of that particular endeavor. Now, hopefully that'll carry over to other areas, but if it doesn't, that's the place to start is really define, really specifically define what does it look like? What do champions look like in my sport? Mm -hmm. I think the best way to start is with how do I define success? Because if you're defining success by external factors that are more predetermined by um, what we traditionally look at, like with fixed mindsets and talent, that's where we have to we have to switch it. You have to switch with that. So if your definition of success is winning, um, becoming all league MVP, um, um, Division One scholarship, all those external things that you really don't have that much control over, undefeated seasons, you know, um, becoming uh, league champs, all those things, what happens when you have that first bout of adversity? It might be in the first practice. It might be in the first uh week. It might be in the first month of the season, where if your goal is to go undefeated and you're a football team, what happens when you go 0-2? Mm-hmm. The Patriots have won the Super Bowl when they've got to start off the season 0-2. Like, that's because they don't define success by those by winning percentages. Now everybody wants to. Everyone wants to be at the end of the days be at the top of the mountain. I get that, but let's not define our success. And I believe that success be something you can tie back to on a minute by minute basis, not at the end of the season. If you're waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting, like in the NFL, basically 364 days to define whether your success was a success or not, you're putting too much pressure. You'll never find flow because you're too judgmental about the outcome better is to define success in a minute by minute or second by second basis of am i executing right now with the character grit tenacity fortitude patience gratitude uh, you, uh the yeah. list is x exp- is really big right now in this moment regardless of what's going on yeah we've lost the first two games well if my goal is to go undefeated like there it goes season's a wash wait till next year but if it's a matter of like Overcoming adversity, you know, grit, like the moments, like leadership, like I could put a lot forth. Maybe this might be even a better thing for me right now. It's a better opportunity to exude, you know, to to um, accomplish my definition of success.
1: Mm -hmm. And and a lot of every or everything you just said, it comes sort of back down to recognizing uh, what you can control and what Mm -hmm. you can't control, and making sure that whatever that end state goal thing is that you're aiming for is in fact actually within your control.
0: And and that end thing is success. Yeah. To me, it's like make success controllable. Mm -hmm. You have to be able to control success now in the minute. You can't wait till the end of the season and it can't be tied to something else. So if it's about, you know, going undefeated or being all league or MVP being the leading scorer, what happens when you get mono and you're out of the season for six weeks? Mm -hmm. You're not going to be the leading score. You're not going to be the MVP. Does that mean the season's gone? You're not going to try? Like that's such a defeatist attitude. You will never reach long-term, here's my thing is, there is no end state, there is no pass fail. We are constantly in the development of something greater and that greater thing keeps on moving and moving. It's not the end of the season. The end of the season doesn't dictate your success or failures, it's not the end of your career. To me it's at the end of your days, it's the end of your life. Can you look back on what you've tried, what you've fought for, what you've accomplished and say, that's what I'm proud of. That's what I'm. I'm proud of the effort I put into it, not the accolades, awards, recognition along with, not the number of Instagram followers, not the number of all leagues, not what I accomplished. But am I am I proud of the effort I put in? If you're proud of the effort, well, now we're in a growth mindset. If you're in a growth mindset, now we're talking about about. Um, we're we're not dict- leading this whole thing down the road of talent. It's all about what we can control.
1: It's a good place to end it. Cool, Pat. Thanks, man. Thank you.